I was like, uh, Saint Dominic, right? And like, oh no, no, that was a saint. And it's like, is it, is it, wait, it's an old Dominic. Like it also like a freight line. And then we pass, and then we pass one. I was like, ah, oh, it was old Dominion. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> this is episode 252 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and our whiskey from home event is now over. I must say that it exceeded all of our expectations and went down in the history books as the first ever worldwide virtual bourbon event. Thank you to everyone who joined and made it a success. We loved getting the feedback as well because it looks like we could do a round two in the future. So here's a breakdown of the numbers. We had over 4,700 registered attendees through Eventbrite with over 21,700 total website visits and our maximum concurrent viewers during the live stream was 1,700 with an average around 1450, and that's for the entire five and a half hours. And that means we had a little bit over 11,000 people that dropped in at some point to watch all or part of it. So if you want to relive it, you can catch the replays by going to Bourbon Pursuit on YouTube, subscribe there, and look for the Whiskey From Home playlist. According to a new survey of 118 craft distillers released by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and the American Distilling Institute, they found that nearly two out of three craft distilleries worry not only about the long-term survival of their business, but the short-term survival as well. 42% said that they do not believe they will be able to stay in business for more than three months, while another 21% are worried they'll have to go out of business within the next three to six months. Of those distilleries surveyed, they have furloughed over 40% of their employees as well. So please, take this as a message as an initiative to go and support your local craft distilleries before it's too late. We need to see this craft bourbon boom happen. And that's because we all wanna see a good variety of products available on the shelves for years and decades to come. Now in some other trending release news, Buffalo Trace has announced a special 18 year old E.H. Taylor bourbon release. This 100 proof bottled and bond small batch bourbon was put into barrels back in 2002. The barrels chosen for this special batch matured using one of three Buffalo Trace mash bills, Wheated Bourbon, Rye Bourbon 1, and Rye Bourbon 2. This one-time only bottling of E.H. Taylor Jr.'s 18-year-old marriage is very limited, and the six bottle cases will be shipped in the impressive wooden boxes that were first used by the Cured Oak release in 2015. These boxes are modeled after the wooden crates used by Taylor to transport goods during the days before Prohibition. And this special bottling of the 18-year-old marriage bourbon whiskey for Colonel E.H. Taylor will be available starting in June in limited supply with a suggested retail price of $69.99. For today's podcast, we went on a road trip to check out Old Dominic Distillery in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, we're excited to let Alex Castle, master distiller at Old Dominic, share with you the history behind the brand and how it was resurrected. We also take a few minutes to learn about her time at Wild Turkey, and then we dive into her current operations and the product lines themselves. If you're in the Memphis area or you find yourself on a barbecue destination, make Old Dominic one of your must stops at their incredible facility. We were blown away by the whiskey and the hospitality. All right, let's get on with the show. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. I'm gonna take you down memory lane in whiskey media. You see, whiskey media did not really exist until the 1990s. 
whiskey media from a consumer perspective was non-existent until Whiskey Advocate or Malt Advocate then and Whiskey Magazine came out in the early 1990s. And they saw the rise of tourism with the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, with the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and all this enthusiasm around Scotch whiskey. And so they created a magazine that catered to the very niche audience. Of course, the 1990s were definitely a good time for magazines. That was pre-internet going mainstream. And so people subscribed and, you know, partook in this wonderful hobby we know as whiskey. In the 1930s and 1940s, you saw a great deal of materials in the trade. There's always been a consistent trade presence for whiskey teaching distillers how to distill, helping business people trade whiskey, et cetera, et cetera. But like I said, it wasn't until the 1990s that anybody gave two shits about the consumers, about you. In the 2000s, we saw the rise of blogs. We found social media accounts coming out. We start seeing podcasts come about in 2008 to 2012. And all the while during this time, you have festivals. Festivals like Whiskey Fest, Whiskey Live, uh, Whiskey Extravaganza, yada, yada, yada. And when I, when I co-founded Bourbon and Beyond in 2017, that was kind of like that next step and evolution of whiskey festivals. It went from everybody walking around in a, ho a big hotel room, drinking whiskey and, you know, talking to distillers, to pairing bourbon with something completely different and music. It was people like the Foo Fighters and Stevie Nicks and the Steve Miller Band, Lenny Kravitz, John Mayer, on and on and on and on. And that is what I thought the evolution of the whiskey festival and the whiskey media would be. I thought it would be a lot more like Bourbon and Beyond in another festival called um, Whiskey X. Of course, as we have seen, the pandemic just take a, a big old sledgehammer to the music industry and everything that is a mass gathering. And I really do not know with confidence what the future of music festivals look like. The largest music festival producer, Live Nation, has already sold off a good chunk of their company uh, to Saudi Arabia. So I think the structure for music festivals is going to be quite a bit different. Enter Whiskey from Home. Whiskey from Home was a, was a really important uh, classic shift. This was a moment, folks. Whiskey from Home, produced by Bourbon Pursuit, was a moment in whiskey history. And if you were there, if you were one of the 12,000 or however many people who sat down and live-streamed uh, the five-and-a-half-hour event, then you were a part of history. What we saw was a pivot of what whiskey festivals and whiskey conferences look like. I don't know what the future holds for music festivals and the whiskey fest of the world and large gatherings, but I do know that this, this virtual conference was groundbreaking. It was the first of its kind, and there's going to be more of them. So if you were one of the first to witness the virtual conference in, in the whiskey world, Maybe keep those emails you got as a souvenir. Screenshot the 
uh, pictures of yourself watching it. Keep those around because that's a part of history. It's a part of whiskey history. It's a part of our history. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, go check out my YouTube. I got some cool stuff going over there. Go to YouTube and search Fred Minnick. I am doing a lot of streaming. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan on the road this time in Memphis, uh, talking to a, a distillery that reached out to us, and it's going to be an interesting story. And Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but this distillery, the first brick was actually laid down by Elvis Presley himself. No way. You know, these are actually random facts I, was, I made up. I know. was going to say. No, it's it, it didn't happen at all. But, <laughs> you know, we are in Memphis, which is, you know, it's the home of Elvis. It's a lot of different things, you know, happen around here. And um, Cozy Corner, my it, favorite. Oh, yes. The barbecue barbecue, place, barbecue yeah. there. Like, shout out to Cozy Corner. I mean, the ribs there are, are insane. People give, you know, there's there's all kinds of places for barbecue around here. There's Gus's Fried Chicken across the street. But, you know, when we come, it's it's uh, it's Cozy Corner Cozy's. barbecue. Yep. We're loyal, diehard fans. <laughs> It's hard to beat. We are. We're suckers for it. But, you know, if anybody that's watching the video right now, you see an array of spirits that are in front of us. And so we've got a lot to talk about. Um, our, our And a lot to drink. Our, yeah, a <laughs> lot to drink. Our guest today has uh, a pretty storied past as well, you know, coming from, uh, you know, the great state of Kentucky. Blue blood state. I know. <laughs> I know. Blue blood down to, uh, down to you know, Music City. Or actually, it's not Music City. What, what's, is there, what's the, what's the. Current, so, so Tennessee and Kentucky did a trade. Kentucky got Cal in Tennessee got Alex. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know who won that one. <laughs> well, we'll see. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and introduce our guest for today. So today on the show, we have Alex Castle. Alex is the master distiller at Old Dominic Distillery in Memphis, Tennessee. So Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yes. Pleasure. 
So I guess, you know, before we dive into anything, people want to know more about you. Um, you know, we can, you can Google you and maybe there's a Wikipedia page out there. Maybe we did there, that on the way here. Maybe there'll be one after this. Is, is there no, a Wikipedia <laughs> page? Because that would be weird. Well, Kenny, was there a Wikipedia? I was driving. No, no. Just some, I wasn't searching and just driving. Some, just some good articles out there. But, you know, kind of talk about, uh, you know, your past. Uh, did you, did you grow up around bourbon? Like, I know you're from Kentucky. So was bourbon a thing in your household? I don't think there was ever a bottle of bourbon in my house growing up. Um, really, neither of my parents drank uh, while I was growing up. My mom had the occasional wine cooler, and that was about it. Uh, I do remember going to Maker's Mark when I was five years old, though. And so that was kind of my first exposure to it. Um, I remember not liking it at all. I thought the place stunk. <laughs> And they gave me chocolate. I didn't know there Which was... Which is okay. Except right? for I didn't know there was bourbon in the chocolate. That doesn't taste good to a five-year-old. So. <laughs> yeah. so my first exposure to bourbon was not positive, at least not to a five-year-old, um, to where I, I didn't really think about bourbon until I got to high school. And that's when my mom suggested I go into chemical engineering and do that so I could make she bourbon. you to make wine coolers for... Well, I was about to say, I was like, bur <laughs> got the bourbon in high school. Like, I was like, you, got, I, you must have ran with a pretty cool crowd then if they're making you get into whiskey at that young of an age. I was a theater nerd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know if they were that cool. Um, but no, she just knew from reading articles and growing up in Kentucky that you can actually make bourbon. It's a living. Mm -hmm. And so she suggested... I do that and I just thought it sounded awesome so I said sure and so you had a, you had a knack for for chemicals right I think I, I read like somewhere that you were also thinking about like going into like marine biologist or something yeah, like that at I one spent point. most of my childhood thinking that's what I was gonna do and then freshman year of high school took biology for the first time horrible <laughs> horrible did, like, oh, like dissecting was, a frog oh it was awful I hated that class yeah, <laughs> yeah me too so I had you know midlife crisis at the age of 15 I had to figure out what to do Maybe at that age when everybody thinks they want to be a marine biologist, they're just like, hey, I get to go play with dolphins all day. Like, how this will be great. And that definitely is what I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> play at SeaWorld all, all day. <laughs> so then you, you venture off. Uh, so you go to UK, right? Yep. So kind of talk about your, your time at UK and, and chemical engineering and everything like that. Um, so just went through this, the standard bachelor program at UK. But while I was there, I essentially took a year off to do a co-op. And ended up working for Alltech. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and they're company. Well, yeah. then they also, yeah, they do, they do. Well, uh, they, they have the Kentucky Ale and the uh, Town Branch. branch so so when I started there, I was in the engineering department and reported directly to Mark Kaufman. Okay. Who's, you know, people know who that is now. And at the time he was in charge of engineering, but also the brewery. Because that's all they had was Kentucky Ale. The distillery didn't exist. And while I was there working on... A completely unrelated project I kept hearing whisperings in the office about stills in this top secret distillery project and I'm just like what is this what is this and finally the stills come in my first exposure to it was we need someone to polish the stills they're really dirty and we've got a press conference coming up you're cheap labor go yes. <laughs> you're the perfect candidate for this. <laughs> it's what we need interns yep. it's exactly it so i spent like two days trying to polish those stills um we did that a lot but then finally my boss asked me if i wanted to observe a distillation and so i went down thinking i just get to spend a day just watching and then i walk in and he says oh i forgot i have to take the kids to the dentist so i immediately think i have to go back to the office and instead in about 10 minutes he tells me how to run the whole system Oh, wow. Oh, wow. No pressure. And, it's no, and he's like, oh, don't, you know, if you need to turn it off, just turn it off. It's fine. Mm -hmm. 
okay. Three to the wolves. It, pretty much. But it was, you know, kind of what started everything for me. And it was a fantastic day. What did you love about it? What what hooked you that day? Um, I, Of course, that system at the time was super hands-on. You were literally standing next to the still, manually controlling the steam valve and changing the water and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I loved that. I loved the fact I wasn't sitting at a desk. I'm just not someone who can sit at a desk eight hours a day. Um, and just the fact that I was getting to create something was just so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, it's whiskey at the end right. of the day. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. you can't really yeah. complain about that too to much. That's not like. <laughs> All right. So, so you're working at Alltech. What's the next phase in the career after Alltech? So, finished school. And unfortunately, while there were a lot of distilleries opening, when I graduated, none of them were hiring. They were all still so young, they couldn't afford more labor. And so I ended up spending a year making laundry detergent. Oh, nice. Everybody needs laundry detergent. <laughs> our house is a free and clear kind of place. We use the, you know. Me too. I got sensitive. Not only I have sensitive ears, I have sensitive skin. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually made all free and clear. See, oh, wow. no, that's. I'm a customer. We're fans. Yes. And so I was there for a year. Um, and while I was there, I was approached about uh, becoming a supervisor at Wild Turkey. And so I said, absolutely. <laughs> like, was it, was it like, like, wait a minute, how fast can I get out of here? Pretty much. Um, and actually, I tried to get on before the new facility even opened, but it just ended up not working out. They couldn't do a permanent position. It was only guaranteed for six months. Couldn't leave my job for a temporary job. And so flash forward about nine months and they called me back saying, all right, we can actually hire you full time, permanent position. Are you still interested? I turned in my notice that day. Mm -hmm. Easy, easy decision at that Very point. Very easy. Yeah. Okay, so working at Wild Turkey now. So are, talk about your role there because now you're in, now you're in real like bourbon pedigree territory here. You know, you got the Russells, you got everything like that. So kind of talk about, you know, what, did you have interaction with them? Like what was your role? I did. So I was in the actual production side, so not even the warehouse. So um, I was a supervisor in charge of receiving grain, milling grain, the mashing, the fermentation distillation, oversaw all of that. You made sure all that Gucci corn was like up to, they call it Gucci corn now, because I guess it's non-GMO. That's, that's, that's Joanne's, that's Joanne's yeah, that's Joanne's. Thing. Yeah, we definitely did not call it that when I was there. <laughs> I was there. wondering, I was like, did they call it Gucci corn back then? <laughs> that's the first I've heard of that. Uh, well, now you know, <laughs> this is what I add. Now I'm never gonna forget that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we did all of that. So I saw every, oversaw everything up till the barrel and then was also in charge of the dryer house. So where they took the spent grains and actually dried them so that the um, farmers could buy it. Uh, so did all of the quality control in all of those areas. So from time to time, definitely got to interact with Eddie and Jimmy, um, just going through and tasting distillates. But was also fortunate enough to be on the expert sensory panel. And so I was involved in all of the taste tests for the new products that were coming out. And because they're owned by Campari, all of the products, Sky Vodka, Cabo, all of those were actually being developed in Lawrenceburg. And so I actually got to taste test the Sky Coconut when they were developing it and the raspberry and all of those new flavors. And so I got to make bourbon, but I also got to have a hand in helping them with other products. And is that like more of like an R&D kind of role of like looking at what does coconut vodka look like? So basically the um, product development lab was right across from my office. So it was a really easy taste tester because they just had to walk three feet and I was there. And so basically they would formulate 
say, 10 different versions of coconut vodka. And I would just go over and assess them and say, oh, I like this one because of this or this one's really bad because of this. And then they slowly would narrow it down and ultimately end up coming up with the final formula. Okay. So now you're at Wild Turkey. You've spent some time there. You're getting getting your feet wet. And then so talk about the next phase. Was, was, was Dominic the next phase of your, your career? It here? was the next phase. So I was super happy at Wild Turkey. I was enjoying my job. And one day I got a message on LinkedIn. See, it's still, it's oh, still it useful. It's still <laughs> it useful. It is. It is absolutely useful. So I got a message on LinkedIn um, from a consultant asking if I knew of anyone that was interested or would be interested in helping open a distillery in Memphis. And you're like, uh, me? Maybe. So I think I got it like on a Friday and I sent my resume in on Monday. Really? It was that quick a turnaround. It was no, no hesitation. I mean, this no. is cause you're talking in like the boom of the craft world, right? Where, you know, there's, there's a lot of dollars being thrown around and you got to figure out like, is this going to succeed? So, yes. so kind of talk about that, that, well, a, that first initial like phone call or whatever it was to figure out, is this going to be a right fit for me? So we definitely did a phone interview first, um, and it was my first time to talk to the current president of the company. And I think actually his cousin was on the call as well, so I got to talk to both of the, of the owners. And just honestly loved their passion as they talked about this project. And of course this was 2015, so still pretty early on in the project. But you could tell this was something that they were very serious about and wanted to do right. They didn't want to cut corners or you know cheat in any kind of way and so I loved that and then at you know talking about the role and what they expected of me I saw that I was going to be given opportunities that I most likely would never have had at Wild Turkey yeah I don't yeah. think I don't think the Russells are going to let any other outsiders become master no. distillers no. no I don't have the right last name it's like for ingrained it. in their contract for life <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea of even not even being a master distiller at Wild Turkey I really wouldn't have been able to create my own products either. I would just oversee existing products. And so they were offering me at Old Dominic the opportunity to create the entire portfolio. Yeah, did they have like initial vision or did you, or so were you I, able to come up with that? So when I came on, they knew they wanted to do two vodkas and they'd actually settled on wanting to do a honey bell citrus flavored vodka. So Were you that, like, I know a great coconut vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I love honey bells. Not everyone knows what that is. I yeah, I was like, start explaining. So the honey bell is actually a hybrid fruit that grows in Southern Florida. And it's a cross between a tangerine and a grapefruit. Mm. So you get some really nice sweetness from the tangerine, but the tartness of the grapefruit actually comes through as well. And so I actually grew up eating them because my grandfather would bring them back from Florida. And so when I joined the team, they said, that's the, you know, we're going to make that into a vodka. I said, absolutely. And so they were actually still developing it. So I actually got to be a part of the development of that product. I didn't come up with the initial thought, but I, I got it to where it is today. I actually just picked up it right now and yeah, I'm smelling smell it. it. I'm smelling it. And yeah, you can, you can. It's the second one. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. And it's, you'll it, know when you yeah, smell it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to miss it. Oh yeah. I, and it's definitely, and is, or is it your, using like all natural fruits and everything inside of it? So we actually ended up having to go with natural extract. Okay. So in developing it, we were using the real fruit. Mm. But when we did the math to scale it up to full production, we realized we needed about 20 tons. Oh, that's a lot. Of, of peel, not even the, the meat. We just needed the peel. And it just was wasteful. It wasn't practical. So we kind of had to 
alter our path on that one. Yeah, that's that's yep. a tough one. Fred will get mad at me, but that's dangerously delicious. Yep. It's really good vodka there. Vodka pursuit coming coming <laughs> coming soon. <to> <laughs> Okay, so so you had the idea of, of doing the vision. So I guess we're we're already kind of like jumping ahead here a little bit. So the the phone call comes, you take it, you have it. Um, I'm assuming like offer letter rolls in, and you're you're. So the next step was get down to Memphis, meet the team, see the the building because they did at least own the building. Nothing was in it, um, but they wanted to make sure that I fit with everyone on the team, and so came down and actually timed it with. Uh, the International Barbecue Festival oh, in not, May. Not a bad time to be here. Not at all. It was my first time in Memphis ever. And so to get to see it at such a fun time. And so my first night in Memphis, they actually took me down to the festival. And so I got to experience that. And if you've never seen it, you've got to come down for it. It's insane. Um, but then I, they actually also got me tickets to a Grizzlies game too. And it was a playoff game. So they made sure I got to experience Memphis at its best. Absolutely. Maybe a night on Beale Street as well. There's a little bit of that. A little bit a little of that. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it always it's, ends it, up on Beale Street. <laughs> it's all, all roads at least into, always end up there. Yeah, somehow. all roads into Beale Street at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. So then you, so you, you, you fell in love with the city mm-hmm. and figured, okay, well, time to time to turn in my blue blood card here and actually uh, become a, uh, a Tennessee, you know, so yes. how was, how, how'd that transi- yeah, transition go? I mean, yeah, what'd your family say? I was about to say, like, did they like excommunicate you? So <laughs> my brother was furious because he had just moved back to Lexington like a year before we moved. So he was so mad that I was leaving. Um, but other than that, they, my parents knew this is what I wanted to do. You know, I think they would have liked to have seen me stay in Kentucky, but they knew that the opportunities there were a lot, lot slimmer than elsewhere. So I think they always knew I was going to end up moving away. Well, we're only six hours apart. It, so I mean, it's terrible. really not that bad. I mean, we did it this morning. You know? Yeah, and you only have to get up at four a.m. You, yeah, know, you do that. Day. You know, you let your driver take care of it. I take a nap, and then before you know it, you wake up and you're there. You're there. It's just, fantastic. As long as I don't wear orange, my family is okay. Oh, I, I, I think I can agree Well, with and you, you can that. wear blue here and be okay. You know, yeah, you fit, it just you needs to be solid. Right in. Just can't. don't say Coach Cal, right? No, no. <laughs> and also, shout out, we, we still love our uh, Tennessee volunteers that are out there that are listeners. So <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, no hatred on that. No. But, <laughs> okay, so let's, let's go ahead and scoot up a little bit here. So now you are, you're into the role and kind of talk about the whole process, because I know that we had kind of talked about the very beginning of maybe the family wanted to just start sourcing first and then bottling, and then it kind of snowballed. Kind of talk about that and then also kind of weave in the family history of like what they wanted to do too. Yeah, so back in, I think it was 2013, when the idea of bringing back old Dominic kind of started. And originally they really did think, oh, we'll just, buy aged product and we'll just bottle it, which is exactly what our founder did before Prohibition. Yeah. What was the original old Dominic, I guess, what was their business model like? So our parent company, D Canali and company was founded in 1866. And shortly thereafter, they added a whiskey line to it. So they had fruit distribution, they had beer distribution, and then also some whiskey. And they would just source barrels. We have, um, letters that show that they bought some from Cincinnati, Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky and would bring it down. And just down the street from the distillery is where their facility was. And they would just bottle it under the old Dominic brand name. Um, and also from the records, we see that they actually bottled uh, 
under a, under a couple of different labels and then also distribute it other brands um, in the state of Tennessee as well. So they were a distributor. They, like mm -hmm. I said, they did a lot. I know one thing that you had mentioned is that he, he kind of like copied a model from his parents or something like that, or like fruit distribution. Is that was a Yeah. So Dominico, when he first moved to Memphis, actually worked for his uncle who had a fruit business. And then a uh, couple years later is when he decided to start his own business doing very similar things. This fruit must be hot, right? It must be hot that if you got to be like, you got to, you got to satisfy the quench for fruit. Well, in the late 1800s, I'm, I'm sure they weren't growing honey fruit or whatever, what, honey bells, <laughs> honey you know, bells. you got to di distribute it somehow. Yeah. And you just probably didn't have ways to like keep it fresh for a year either. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, it's like bananas. You get them and then they're bad in a week. And you're like, ah, oh, come on. We've got, they've got to figure out a way to make bananas last longer by now. Just don't buy as many. That's Maybe that too. Sure. That's, that's true. So what happened to the, what ultimately happened to the business? Why did it? it in uh prohibition hit and so like every you know most brands they had to stop production and stop selling fortunately decanali and company continued it's been a continuous oper operation since so they were still able to continue the beer later on they were able to continue the fruits um, but our founder passed away before prohibition ended and so unfortunately when it was repealed there really wasn't anyone who was super interested in bringing it back um, and so the business continued on. They had an Anheuser-Busch distributorship here in Memphis. It was one of the biggest ones in the region. They had a food division as well. Both of those got sold off by 2010. And so in 2013, our president, Chris Jr., found a bottle of Dominic Toddy. It was a product that was part of the original portfolio, and it was still full and still wax-sealed. And a light bulb went off of this is how we get back to Memphis. This is, this is what I'm going to do. Where was the family at, at the time? So the office is still located in downtown Memphis, but okay. they just at that point had um, business ventures outside of the city and investments outside of the city. And so he wanted to get back into his hometown and have an active business in the city. And so he decided to bring old Dominic back. And the Dominic Toddy is what started it all. They decided to crack that bottle open and have the juice analyzed out in California. And we took that analysis and created our Memphis Toddy. Ooh. So why, why the name Toddy? Do you, do you know like where that the, like a hot toddy. Origin, you know, I know what a hot toddy is, but you know, this is, this is a, this is a full bottle. It's not just like, you know, well, mixed true. with like, you know, honey and tea. No, and stuff. It's like RTDs before it's day, ready to drink kind of, cocktails. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> is. Cause actually all the ads for Dominic Toddy said just serve over cracked ice. So they didn't even necessarily want you mixing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have no records as to what was in the toddy. We have no idea why he actually called it a toddy for the time, but to pay homage to it, we just stuck with the name. Oh, I got you. Okay. And this is the toddy right here. This that is the that toddy. Right here. So that okay. is bourbon that we steep with cinnamon, clove, black pepper, cardamom, and citrus peel. Okay. Well, I'm going to pick it up real quick because it, you can pick it out of the lineup because it's a little hazy, right? Yes. So yeah, there's easy yeah, to see. sugar in there. Did y'all taste the, that original bottle or just send it off for analysis? I believe one person was brave enough to taste it. I didn't do it. They survive. It, yes, yes. Because they, they used fresh fruit at the time, from what we can tell. What happens to fresh fruit over time? Oh, I mean, I would imagine. That liquid think, was black. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that. Because I was about to say, I was like, was there had to be like some floaties in there or something at that point, just bacteria running amok. You couldn't see anything in it. 
yeah, it reminds me of fall. Like mm-hmm. I want to sit on a hay bale and ride around a wagon or something, you know, for, like, <laughs> for fall festival yeah, or something. Get That's your straight, really good. Get your get your straw bale out and kind of sit on it and yep, take a story. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly <laughs> what it tastes like. So was the uh, was the toddy the first idea of um, this is the first product that we also want to come out with that is a, like in a darker liquid? Yeah, we knew we wanted to launch with that product. Um, the vodkas really were just there to help carry us through while our whiskey aged. Sounds like the story of every other craft distiller <laughs> out there. They want to <laughs> have cash flow. You got to make it happen. Do. Making whiskey is expensive. It is. It is. And so how long to the point where, you know, because I would imagine you're you're alternating the days in the still and, you know, and then you've got basically you're mashing in one day and then you got to, you know, you're, you're trying to uh, still it in another. So what was the, what was like the, the schedule of like, okay, this is the days that we can pump out vodka. This is the days that we can do our whiskey. What, what did that look like? So basically, um, so we do, our vodka is actually made with our Tennessee whiskey mash bill. And so that kind of helped as far as just laying down product. We were able to just ferment, you know, mash and ferment the Tennessee whiskey. And then after the fact, we could decide, did it go in a barrel or did we distill it further to turn it into our vodka? Um, But really, it was just a juggling act. Of course, this loft we're in right now was our original storage space well it's limited space so i also knew i only had so much time before i needed the next warehouse and so we were actually distilling less than our capacity because i needed to give us time to finish our warehouse so we were pretty much just trying to lay down as much whiskey as we could but give us time anyway and so finding holes in the schedule to produce the vodkas to produce the toddy to bottle everything was actually really easy just because we didn't have the space to be able to make whiskey every day anyway yeah talk about the design it's a be- beautiful facility like did you did you know what you wanted or did you have to get outside help to kind of tell you what, what was the design who came, who came up with the design it was a team effort um so we worked with a group here in memphis called lrk that helped us with all of our interior design work and that extended to even like our equipment layout as well because we knew from day one we wanted this to be a, a place you could do tours and see everything and so they wanted it to be beautiful as well as functional and so it was the design team saying, oh, let's make it look this way. And then me having to say, no, that's not how piping works. Let's come up with a different solution. Yeah, let's get to reality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. let's get this thing functional. Yeah, so it was, it was definitely a teamwork. What came first, that or, um, you know, like getting Vendom in here to try to figure out, like, this is what the stills are going to look like. This is where the, the mashed grains, they the mashed ups are going to be. They had actually already started talking to Vendom before I even got on board. Uh, to where my first day on the job, we actually hit the road and went up to Louisville. And uh, You're like, wait, I got it down here. Now I make, drop my ass yeah, back up. First day, first day on the job, we hit the road. So brand new coworkers, and I have to sit in the car with them for six hours. Little awkward, but uh, lots of questions. Oh, it was awful. Really, it's like like let's sit down and really get to know Alex on this. Exactly, trip. exactly. But we went up there and uh, got to stop by Vendom, and they actually already had pieces of our stills in production so they had started that conversation long before i'd even come on board um and even had kind of preliminary layout of the facility as well and it was just me getting to fine-tune it and and make sure everything actually made sense did you share like the same vision when you went there and saw vendom and you looked at the like the the width of the column or anything you're like 
I don't know if that's me big enough. Maybe we got to go bigger. Like what was, what was that? Like, did it, did it mesh with your vision? You're like, Hey, we're going to work with what we got. It, it absolutely worked with my vision. Um, of course, coming from wild Turkey, I'm used to really big equipment. <laughs> right. And so really anything at that point, you're kind of like, is that really going to achieve what I need it to? Um, but based on conversations with the team and kind of where they saw old Dominic ending up, I, everything Vindom had seemed like it was it was absolutely perfect for what we needed. Talk about the inspiration about for your recipes. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Talk about the inspiration about for your recipes. So are like, are they turkey inspired or also talk about like, what's the like just creating something from nothing, like a whole new recipe for a brand? So I will say our Tennessee whiskey is definitely inspired by my time at Wild Turkey. It's a very similar mash bill. Um, and then the reason I used that for my vodka was simply because I already had three whiskey mash bills to juggle. I really didn't need a fourth one. And so that one, and we experimented, we tasted, made sure that that actually worked. But that's where that thought process even started was just, I don't need another mash bill. So let's hope that this one works. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, it did. Were you testing on the, the still out there or did you have? Yeah, like that was, small? yeah, no, that was my trial was the system out there. So it was a very big trial. Yeah. Could you like not <laughs> sleep at night? You're just like. It was awful. Yeah. It was, and panicking. Like, well, we thought we had it and my boss was panicking because this, you know, this is his baby. It's his legacy. And so I was like, no, you need to try a different mash bill. So we went and did something completely different and put them side by side. And the Tennessee whiskey mash bill won. Well, that meant I ended up with 50 gallons of 192 proof vodka that I couldn't use anything in. I mean, you can use it and you can clean something. Well, you probably clean the still with it. We actually decided to put it in barrels, Oh, which, you know, vodka has no flavor, so it really didn't do a whole lot, but it gave us an opportunity to experiment with it. And so one of them, we actually put coffee beans in the barrel 
and it turned out beautifully. So we actually released that as a, a one-off. It's a lot easier to do those one-offs when you have uh, when you're like, well, we'll just see what we can do with this one this time. Never, uh, nothing ever goes to waste. Though. No, it doesn't. You have to be able to get your money back somehow. And so we were able to salvage, you know, what was you know I don't want to call it a mistake because it wasn't. We intentionally made that vodka, but we couldn't release it as a vodka because we already had a vodka. Um, so it was just trying to to save it, and it gave me a chance to have a little bit of fun, be creative, right, um, and do something unique. And so, you know, that's yeah. Did you have it. to like change your mentality or mindset coming from somewhere like Turkey? You're like, don't 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 mess it up <laughs> to like it up. <laughs> to like where this the Russells are going to hurt me. This don't is a it. playground, <laughs> you know. It definitely is more fun um, knowing that there's a little bit more wiggle room. You know, inconsistencies when you're this small can actually be a good thing. Um, and so, yeah, anytime we did have, you know, something happen that ended up meaning that, you know, the mash wasn't exactly like it was supposed to be, we've been able to make the most of it and, and just come up with something unique and spin off, um, in a different product. Cool. Absolutely. So I'm going to lift the bourbon up next and kind of go to that. So kind of, again, run us through the bourbon here. Um, you know, if you want to share the mash bill, if you can't share the mash bill, I mean, Lord yeah, knows we, there's we so many people it. out there that are like, oh, we don't share a mash bill, even though it's so weird because you can tell a mash bill and it's just like, if you make it at one distillery it's and you make the same exact mash bill at another distillery, it's going to be two totally completely different, different ways. Right. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end yep. of the day. So this is our healing station bourbon and it is a high rye bourbon. So it's 52% corn. That's high. That's high. And 44% rye. That's a, oh, that's wow. a high rye. That's a yeah. high, high rye. And it's, I love rye whiskey. So that's why I love this mash bill as it's kind of a happy... It's going to give that, that spiciness character to it. And we, we do bottle it at 100 proof as well. Wow. Well done. And this one, oh, absolutely. It's, it's got like cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm a big fan of this. Big fan of the rye here. So this is actually the base of the toddy too. So we use this exact same liquid in the toddy. Um, currently, what's in that bottle is actually produced in Indiana. Um, so as I said early on, they knew we wanted the toddy when we first opened. Well, that required a two-year-old minimum two-year-old bourbon. We weren't ready. We didn't have this building ready to go. And so they took our recipe, our yeast, our barrels, and went up to Indiana. Um, and it's when they were still doing custom mash bills at the time and had them make a couple rounds of, of bourbon for us. Yeah. And then it was aging so well. This is uh, five and a half years old at this point. It was aging so well that we decided to use some of it as just a bourbon and not just for the toddy. Wow, I was about to say, I was like, this does, this does not taste like it would be like a two or three year old. Right. I mean, this is fantastic. Yeah, so. no, that's, yeah, that's the five and a half years at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of, it gives a lot of those flavors. It's like, uh, what's that one candy that you always talk about? Hot, uh, hot tamales. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, I, I can get that on yeah. it. Like, uh, Red Hot's a little bit too, uh, some of that. So it's fantastic. Good. Yeah, it's got a great viscosity too for just even five years old, a lot of depth and I love the spice though. It's like, it sticks with you. It does. It's very good. Mm -hmm. And then, so at this point, you know, you all are producing a lot more of your, your own bourbon now, correct? Yes. Yeah. So we produce three different mash bills, um, that are all currently aging. We have our Tennessee whiskey, which is 75% corn, 13 rye and 12% malted barley. And the oldest of that actually just turned three at the beginning of 2020. Um, and then the next one on that is also a high rye bourbon. So it's 52 corn, 44% rye. And then we also have a wheat whiskey, which is 83% wheat. 
what do you mean you want to go with a wheat whiskey? Because I'm I'm a fan of like Bernheim, right? I actually like Bernheim mm-hmm. wheat whiskey, but you don't see a whole lot of offerings on the market today. So kind of talk and about your. That's exactly why we wanted oh, there it. There you go. You're there finding you go. it. <laughs> you own it. That's that's how we, it works. You know, and not everyone likes a high rye bourbon. Sometimes that's too hot for somebody, too spicy. Wheat can be a really nice intro to the category. I know plenty of people who say they don't like whiskey. And it's largely because they just end up getting, you know, started with something that's super bold and super strong. And so it just kind of punches them in the face. Whereas if you can have a wheat whiskey, it can maybe help introduce them to yeah, it. More approachable. Like, exactly. It's a little more delicate, a little mm-hmm. more rounded. I mean, just that's, like Kenny. Uh, that's what they call me, <laughs> delicate and rounded <laughs> Kenny. <laughs> Sweet oak. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. We're gonna come back from that one now. <laughs> yeah, talk about um, the barrels. So, like, did you have um, say so in like what chars you want? What kind of you know? I did. Um, fortunately, we kind of all were in agreement anyway. They they kind of when I started wanted to do a number four char. That's my favorite char. So there was no disagreement on that. Um, but one thing they did want to do is our um, parent company had some timberland in West Tennessee and had a lot of white oak on that property. And so the first, I forget how many barrels, you know, I think it was close to a thousand barrels worth actually came from Canali property. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. And so the coal staves actually we use, so all the staves you can't use for barrels, we actually repurposed and we've, um, have tasting staves where we put the glasses. Those are from Canali property. Our elevator is wrapped in those bad staves. So how does that work? Do you like, so you, I mean, they're taking the wood. They didn't obviously probably had a cooperage. Is there a cooperage that will be like, we'll accept your wood and, and make our, make, oh, they do. Okay. I didn't know that. Now I, did you know that? Well, I do now. Yeah. Hopefully they don't get mad at me for telling people they can do that. Well, but well more it, business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. We'll I send, think they're doing fine. We'll send a few lumberjacks out there. We'll go ahead and chop down your trees, lug them back to Missouri, wherever they're going to, they're going to age yeah. them at. So, but yeah, so that was cool. Um, we, now just make sure that our wood does come from West Tennessee. So we do want to try and keep it regional. What's the, what's the idea of trying to keep it regional? Is it just pride? Is it like, do you really think there's a flavor to it? Like what, what's the idea? So some of it definitely is pride. We're just really proud to be, you know, West Tennessee. Anything that's not Kentucky? Kind of. No. <laughs> she's already. She's no. Already, she's she's already. Yeah. It only but took a few years. <laughs> actually, for us, it is pride because um, the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, we're the only distillery on the West region. And so we want to play up the West Tennessee part of our brand because it's, it's very legitimate and we're the only ones. Um, but also the whole terroir part, you know, we've had distilleries do experiments with trees and does it really affect the, the flavor in the end? And it absolutely does. And so by at least guaranteeing that it's coming from the same region, we're hopefully getting a more consistent barrel. Yeah. I mean, do you think, do you find that it's going to be consistently harder to do that, especially as scale comes where you're like, okay, there's only so much land that we can, we can take trees from. I'm a, I'm a little nervous about it. <laughs> I really am. Especially if you think about the way the state of Tennessee is, there's not a whole lot further west than us. We're sure. it. Yeah. You're on the tip. Yes. So I'm a little nervous. I know you're the last exit. If not, it's 30 minutes back to Arkansas. Oh, especially right now with the water, like the water, you got to keep going. There are a couple exits, I think, yeah, underwater. Don't miss exit one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we've done it before. We were actually coming to Memphis and we missed the exit one and we drove and we're like over the bridge and we're like, ah, Surely it's got to end soon. (laughs) That damn Mississippi is big. (laughs) It's it's horrible. It's like a 16, not Mississippi's not 16 miles away, but it's like 
you got to drive like 16 like miles, you know, across and then make your way back. And you're like, don't make that mistake again. Yes. Yes. Always get off at exit one. Then, you know, you're don't then, start daydreaming when you, when you come to exit one, yeah, make sure your Google maps is on like the loudest setting possible. Then you yes. never get, you're never going to miss it. And so another question that I always had, uh, and actually we talked about it a little bit when we were doing the tour, but I said, let's save it the podcast. Talk about the rooster. Yeah. So we have a 13 foot tall rooster on our roof. Um, so back to that Dominic Toddy bottle that we talked about on that original label, there are two little chickens on it. And I don't think anyone really paid any attention to the chickens until someone was who didn't even work for the company saw the bottle and pointed at the chickens and said, those are Dominic or roosters. And everyone in the room just kind of had this aha moment of, oh my gosh, Dominic, Dominic or chickens. Holy crap. This is, this is why they're on the bottle. Um, so they decided that that needed to be a brand element going forward. And we had a couple different um, iterations of the rooster and how much we were going to use them. Even when I came on board, we had, you know, we're playing with the idea of making sure he was super prominent on the vodka bottle. Uh, there was some back and forth on whether or not they wanted to continue to do that. And us girls fought for it uh, because we thought the rooster was a fantastic thing to include in the brand. And so we incorporated him in pretty much every aspect, every most, bottle. Most distillers have a cat roaming around. Do you have a rooster roaming around here? <laughs> Just like, yeah. like making sure everybody's here early, before the sun rises. <laughs> there were some early conversations about wanting to put a chicken coop on our rooftop patio. Yeah, that'd be cool. When Get I pointed, the fresh eggs, you know. When I pointed out to them that they would have to take care of the roosters. They're like, no thanks. It, yes. <laughs> Yes. Cats can take care of themselves. Roosters, roosters are maybe a little bit different. Yeah. A little bit. I don't know. I've been to Key West. They take care of themselves pretty well down there. But I tell you what, 6 a.m. comes off early in Key West. It does. It? <laughs> After a night on Duval Street. And like, damn roosters. Yeah, I don't think our neighbors would like the roosters. Yeah, probably exactly. not. That's a fair point. See, I would think that if you're in that, 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 that meeting room and somebody says like, oh, these are the Dominic roosters or whatever, I'd be looking over like, how do you know this? Like He was a country boy. It must have been. Yeah, he was a country boy. He was a farmer. And so he knew what they were. Um, and it turns out that they are, I believe it's their, the oldest breed of chicken in America. And so it kind of made sense that, you know, you'd see him on things from before Prohibition. And like I said, we kind of fell in love with him and... He's named Nico now. So he does Nico. have a name. He okay. does have a name, Mascot Nico. A name. Yep, Nico after Dominico. Oh. And so, yeah, we um, incorporated him on everything. If you look at the Honeybell bottle, he's actually got his claw on a Honeybell fruit. And then for our gin, we decided to swap out the shot glass for a martini. Okay. Actually, before we get to the last one, I actually want to talk about the gin real quick because I know this was, this was one of your babies too, right? Yes. This was uh, basically three years in the making. Um. We knew we wanted it early on, but just couldn't couldn't settle on um, originally just the recipe. It took a while to develop that because I'm from bourbon country. I didn't make gin. Right. You're like, <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah, but it's always <laughs> hot as hell in Memphis. So it's probably makes more sense to drink gin in yeah. the summer. Um, but then it took us a while just to settle on the label. Um, it's amazing how difficult packaging design actually is and how much time it takes we know exactly what you're talking about it's, you can yes. sit there and you look and then you go and you see like oh i didn't even think about gold foil oh and press plates exactly. and all these different things that go into it that Strips maybe a lot of people oh that they, everybody takes it for granted nobody Embossing, really knows. all that nonsense you never pay attention to until you're making a label mm -hmm. it's yes. like then it comes important so I, talk I, about the i know so oh, much about labels now it's, yeah it's horrible me too <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> 
talk about the inspiration about, behind this recipe and how did you determine your gin recipe and this is the way I'm going to do my gin. I almost feel like there's some of the uh, the honey bell in the gin. It almost tastes like you have some like there's almost some crossover. Grapefruit. There's some grapefruit. I was going to say, there yeah. feels like there's some crossover. So, um, like I said, I, I, I'd never made gin. So, I actually decided to go to Moonshine University in Louisville for the botanics cor- botanical course. And that was great because they show you what each of these individual ingredients are like when they're distilled, which saved me a lot of time having to figure that out. (laughs) Uh, And so basically from that class, I discovered, oh, I like this, but I don't like that. So I'm going to avoid it and that kind of stuff. And just basically spent a couple months in the lab, have a little two liter still in the lab and just, you know, started with just, oh, I like these. So let's throw them together and see how it goes. Uh, Some of them worked out. Some of them did not work out at all. It's Uh, called experimentation. Yes, exactly. I made some really Failing forward, I call it. (laughs) Um, And then just kind of experimenting with it and fine tuning it. And then we got to a point where I had two formulas that I really, really liked and couldn't decide on. And so we actually created an R&D line and that line started with those two gins and we released it and just tried our best to capture feedback from the customers to see which of the two was the front runner. Yeah. I mean, it's delicious because yeah, personally, I'm actually getting into gimlets a lot lately. And you know, it's something that, you know, when you want to kind of change it up a little bit. Roger Sterling from Mad Men. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I do. I do have that face. Right? No, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's just I, this, it's just one of the kind of cocktails that I gravitate towards now. That's a little more lighter and still has a line. I mean, it's, it's super easy to make. That's the thing is like if anybody that's never had a gimlet before and you want to try to get a little bit, you know, people that think they don't like gin, try it in a gimlet. I think you'll be a little bit. Well, the true really martini has gin too, like the yes, which I prefer over vodka. Well, there we go. Plus, uh, plus you can get this one; and it's got a rooster uh, on it. So, and this one's fantastic, neat. I mean, gosh, that's really good. Thank you. <laughs> like yeah. I said, the 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 grapefruit note really carried in there. It sure did. Yeah, and but it, it also has some like spice to it that you don't get normally with gin. Like uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a little allspice at the end that I like that sits on the back palate for me. I don't know. Well, that's okay. Well, Ryan, you get to explore this further because you just signed up for Gin Pursuit 2.0. Hey, come I on. got Vodka Pursuit, so now I'll do Gin. Yeah, yeah, coming to another podcast near just you. cover the gamut. It's fine. We'll I'll, get there one of these I'll days. I'll hang out with Alex all day. We'll just <laughs> we'll come get, up with stuff. Talk about gin. <laughs> talk about botanicals all day. You know, talk about love language. There we go. Is it Ryan Botanical Cecil? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the the last one that we have here is uh, something that you all have. It's part of another experimentation line, right? It's, it's something that's yeah. like a distillery only, sorry, distillery only kind of release. Yeah. So um, one of the first things I did when I got to Memphis was become friends with all the breweries in town. And so... Probably good people to know. They're great people to know. Um, but they all have been bugging me about barrels. And so if we finally our dumping barrels. So we have ones that we can give out in this one, Metalson Brewing. Um, it's about two years old, I think. And they took, I think, 14 barrels and did five different beers in them and released them all back to back. And they were super fun beers, crazy beers. Well, they asked if I wanted some of those barrels back. And I thought, ah, sure, why not? You know, Like he gave them to you for free. Yes, I, I want them yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> what, what can I lose? <laughs> and so my favorite one of the five that they did was called All the Cookies. And it basically was an oatmeal raisin cookie beer. And it smelled and tasted just like the cookie. And so I was like, yeah, I want that one. Let's see what that does with bourbon. And so we put bourbon back in it for 
I think it was two and a half weeks. And it, oh, I just tasted there's like so much big ginger in there, <laughs> like gingerbread. So they, cause they actually ferment on the raisins. They put vanilla extract in the barrels. I mean, they really did a lot to that beer. And so that barrel took on a ton of that flavor. Yeah. It tastes just like an oatmeal cookie, but with a little ginger spice added mm-hmm. or something to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get with those raisin with, notes with the bourbon burn at the very end, right? I mean, you get all that. It's the whole package. It's the total package. Like I said, that's a, that's a unique, really unique finish. Just something fun, different. Are you all looking at experimenting with more kind of finishes or like this was like, hey, like this was a pretty fun one-off. Like, I don't know how often we can recreate this. Definitely just one-offs at this point. Um, I do know Meddlesome's doing those beers again. And I think even changing some of them up so they'll do different recipes. And because of how well this one did, instead of just taking back one or two barrels, I plan on taking back more next time and just continuing you know, fun little finishes, but only on that really small scale. I mean, how long were you finishing this in the barrel? And was it like, I need to check on it like every other week to make sure things don't go. So it was only two and a half weeks in the barrel for that. I was afraid to let it go too far because I didn't, I didn't want to lose the bourbon flavor. Yeah, Like I didn't want it to just become this sweet cookie. And so we were tasting it weekly. And at the end of week two, we're like, okay, it's time to pull it. Where it's to where we were tasting it every day after that, and then finally hit you know the spot where we're like, okay, we don't think it's going to get any better, and we don't want it to get worse. Yeah, if you love candy, dried fruits, I mean, this is like right up your alley. It's it makes a great old fashioned. Oh, I, ooh, I didn't even think of that. Oh yeah, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah, well, the only way you can get it is you gotta you gotta get your ass down to Memphis, and you gotta yeah. get your get you get to the uh, the gift shop here and get yourself a bottle. So talk about correct me if I'm wrong. In Tennessee, you weren't able to distill like. There were only three distilleries and yeah. until recently were so obviously you all are after the law had passed but talk about the loopholes that you had to get through to get to to where we are today yeah so in tennessee i think it was 2009 when they finally opened it up to allow other counties to distill um to where now it's we're over 40 distilleries in the state wow Um, And in Memphis, our biggest hurdle wasn't so much we had loopholes. It's just no one knows what to do with the distillery. So when you're going through and doing inspections and things like that, there or even my pipe fitters. They had never had to lay out a distillery before. They're like, we can't find you because we don't know how to find you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So there was a huge learning curve just for everyone involved in this project um, because it was such a foreign territory. But then the state as a whole, we've had to fight to... um, set the regulations on tastings and even just letting us do tastings. Um, We had to pass legislation. um, The Tennessee Distillers Guild uh, had to help pass legislation to allow bottle shops. And we actually were allowed to sell our product on Sundays when no other liquor store could. Um, And then finally passed it to where we could do uh, cocktails. So we passed the LBD um, legislation so that we could actually operate bars. We are still restricted on that in order to put any alcohol in the drink, you have to make it. So I've spent better part of a year learning how to make absinthe and fernet and vermouth and things uh, like that. Gotcha. Um, we can't just buy it. We have to make it ourselves. Oh gosh. Talk about wow. a hurdle. I don't even <laughs> want to do that. I mean, what do you do? Get on YouTube and you're like, how to make absinthe. <laughs> <laughs> like, got to do that for Sunday. There was a lot of Google searches yeah. done. Yes. Um, especially because my bartender wanted Aquavie. Oh man. I had never even heard of Aquavie before the I list know, came I didn't either until some, like a year ago. That's about when I found yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I had to figure out how to make it. 
it's surprisingly easy, but getting the flavors right was interesting because I don't really use caraway in anything. So I had no clue what it tasted yeah, like. you call your grain supplier, oh, you got these uh, <laughs> caraway there? Or, you know, <laughs> instead of the normal corn and rye, you know, delivery we get, we'll take some caraway. <laughs> but yeah, so it, we still have hurdles, but, you know, that particular hurdle I actually just saw as a really fun challenge um, to where now any alcohol you get at our bar, we make all of it in-house now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So yeah, how has the reception been here locally with Memphis? It's been great. Uh, Memphians are proud of Memphis and Memphians. anything that comes from I don't know if I've heard that one before. I like yes. that. Yeah, I know. We know we're coming from a state north, so it's maybe maybe we because we call ourselves like Louisvillians sometimes. Maybe I, Ryan doesn't look like he identifies no. with it. Yeah, he's not agreeing with yeah. that. <laughs> I'm from Bardstown, so I claim that yeah. always. What, what do you, what's a Bardstown? Yeah, is it a Bardstownian? Bardstownian? Yes, I, I don't know. I'll stick with Memphian. Yep. I like Memphian. Oh. But anyways, yeah, sorry, didn't mean that. No, you're <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was the one. I took that one off the rails there. But yeah, so Memphis, we're very proud of everything that comes out of the city. And so they, you know, have been super supportive of us. The retail accounts, the um, restaurants and bars, everyone has jumped on board and wanted to help us succeed. Yeah, and the, the city seems like it's going through like a renaissance. Seems like a Huge lot of young people are moving back to downtown, a lot of construction, as you may or may have not heard. Yeah, apparently when I first moved here, um, my husband and I got a loft on South Main Street, so right downtown, and people just looked at us like, oh, you know, two years ago, you wouldn't have even considered doing that. What's it like living downtown? It's like, it's fantastic. There are amazing restaurants, and I can walk everywhere, and now the entire downtown is being revitalized. We're getting super great boutique hotels all around the city or all around downtown. We've got amazing um, chefs coming in and opening up restaurants. We've got the huge One Beal project, which is a multi-use space. It's apartments, condos, all of that right at the end of Beale Street. So you'll be able to walk to Beale Street, no issue. Um, but yeah, no, it, Memphis is, is coming alive right now. Yeah, it has a lot more to offer than just Elvis and uh, barbecue. So, so much more, so much more. But did you see how we started the podcast? Now we ended the podcast, everything ended at Beale Street. Yeah, I didn't know Elvis was uh, around in 1866, <laughs> but I guess he lived forever. You know? Yeah, he, he does, he lives forever. <laughs> so Alex, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was a fantastic, A, getting to know you, more getting about, like, of course, old Dominic and the products that you all are making. Like I said, this this high rye bourbon, phenomenal. Yeah, it's fantastic. Phenomenal. Well like, done. Yeah, <laughs> like you. like I said, it's got the red hots and it's got all that sort of like that candy flavor that you grab from it. I'm I'm a huge fan of it, and uh, I also want you to get an opportunity to like tell people like where. I mean, I I know people to use Google Maps, but like where do they find Old Dominic? How can they learn more about him as well, or out about you all? Um, so we have our website, olddominic.com, and our social channels are the same, just Old Dominic. You can also follow me on Instagram, Memphis Distiller. But as far as where you can find our products, we're throughout the state of Tennessee. We're in Mississippi, Georgia, Arkansas. I know I'm forgetting states. We're even in Wyoming. So if you're ever out there, you can find us. So awesome. So make sure you follow Alex at Memphis Distiller at Instagram. Make sure you follow or Instagram or Twitter. What'd you say? Instagram. Instagram. Always on the IG. I think, I think there is a Twitter account for me, but I have not logged in in a very long time. <laughs> that sounds like me on ours, on uh, Twitters. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm in charge of all of them. I know. Exactly. So Bourbon Pursuit on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So you can find us all everywhere. Yeah, don't now. do TikTok. You can get on it. It's fun. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah, don't. Oh, we'll talk just about don't it worry later. about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, if you like what you hear, make sure 
you support the show, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. Yep. Alex, thanks for having us on. Thanks for the booze. Thanks for it made for a up. great lunch. Uh, love the gin. Love the high rye bourbon. Fantastic job. I'm super impressed. And I, I'm excited that we can, because we come down here quite a bit, and I'm excited we have a place we can come hang out. So we'll pop in like Kramer and hang out Please sometime. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. So with that, appreciate everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. 